as a black woman as well, not only me doing well, but my kids doing well to me is really like an act of resistance. It is in my way a form of protest, right? Because, you know, there's so many things that tell us that I should not be making a million dollars a year. I did not finish college. My parents are immigrants. Like, you know, how dare you be that successful? Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan. And mamas, today on the show, we're talking to Maddie James, the full-time content creator and influencer behind MaddieJames.com. Maddie creates lifestyle content for her blog, podcast, and YouTube channel while working with brands like Samsung, TJ Maxx, and J.Crew. After being crowned Miss Liberia USA in 2009, Maddie started her blog as a hobby and grew it into the six-figure business it is today. Now she lives in Atlanta with her husband, Chris, and their three children, and she's taught over 1,000 influencers how to grow their following, pitch brands, and create content for profit. I'm excited to have her here with us today to share her journey and her tips for building an authentic following online. As always, stick around until the end of the show to hear my top three takeaways from this conversation with Maddie, or you can head over to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Maddie, and that's M-A-T-T-I-E, for the complete show notes and to download your free Design Your Passion Project workbook. Are you ready, mamas? Let's get started. Hey, Maddie, welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show. Hey, Chelsea. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to share your whole story because you've actually been blogging and working online since 2010, which is kind of OG yeah. <laughs> blogger. <laughs> yeah. So tell us, how did you get started? Funny enough, I've actually been on the internet, I guess, roughly consistently since 2008, but I didn't really start taking myself seriously as a content creator until like that 2010, 2011 mark. And I lived in New York before I moved to Atlanta, which is where I'm based now. And that's where I learned about blogging. I've always been someone who's been into magazines, and I've always loved that since I was a kid. And so I always wanted to be a magazine editor. And so when I lived in New York, I found out about blogging. And then all of a sudden, I just learned about this thing called a blog, and you could get information daily, not just wait every month for a new issue to come out. And that really fascinated me. And so when I moved to Atlanta after leaving New York, I decided to try to start my own and realized how incredibly hard it is to post every single day. (laughs) (laughs) Every single day blogging is a lot. It's so intense. I mean, once a week blogging is intense. So, you know, I always try to tell people, I'm like, it looks easy and that is very, very deceitful because it is insanely hard and and just task-oriented. But that's sort of how I got started. So I tried to start a, and I think it was 2008, I tried to start a celebrity blog. Just was not good at it at all. It just takes so much. It's a lot of press releases, being in contact with PR people and agencies. And that just wasn't my ministry. And then I started like a casual blog about myself. People who have been following me for a while remember it. It was called Mattyology. And all I did was just kind of talk about the musings of my life, mostly style, because I've always been into like dressing up and hair and makeup and all of that. But we started taking it seriously after a couple of years. My boyfriend then, who is my husband now, he is a graphic artist. So that worked out in my favor. He designed my first site. It was very cheesy. My favorite color is pink. And it was just, if you can just think of the most obnoxious, pink, girly, 
<laughs> blog that you could build on Blogspot. That's exactly what I created. An explosion of ballerinas. Basically, in there. I actually have it's still up. I always point people to it because people always are like, oh my gosh, you just have everything together. And I'm like, yeah, I started at square one like everyone else. So it's still at mattyology.blogspot.com. And yeah, I started like that. And 2010, we got a little bit more serious with it because in 2009, I won Miss Liberia USA. And so there's a little bit more eyes on me. So I was like, maybe I should take this a little bit more seriously. I really started to learn about like SEO, the blogging industry as a whole. How do you work with brands? What do people really look for? And I think my corporate background helped a lot. I had just got done with a really really lovely internship with Brown Foreman, who are the makers of Jack Daniels and Gentleman Jack. And learning how budgets are allocated to certain things Mm -hmm. really did help me out. And then I ended up doing management for a showroom for a home decor company. And also just seeing how they do that was really, really helpful as well. And I did that for about three and a half years until I finally left in 2015. I was I was let go from my good job and I've been full-time blogging since then. Fantastic. And so you've also had some family transition through this, right? So when you started 28, yes. 2010, you said just your boyfriend and now you have three kids, right? Am I, am I right on that? Three kids, yes. Oh my goodness. Six, three and one. It's a party. <laughs> so it's smart when your mom is here. So obviously our audience is almost exclusively moms and they always want to know, How do you run a business? How do you grow a business when you have little kids at home? So how has this transition into motherhood changed how you work in your business? You know what? I love it so much because it really did force me to get serious about my boundaries. I really had to get clear on work time versus family time and lifetime. And, you know, I think one thing that my husband and I are really good at in this current season of our marriage, and I think the pandemic has also helped us get serious about boundaries, is that Saturday is a rest day for us. I know everybody's walks of life are different. You know, for us, we're Christians. So in our faith, it says you need one good day of rest. And we take that really seriously. And I think it's easy to kind of say, yeah, we'll rest. And then we'll turn that into let's organize the garage. Let's paint the girl's bedroom and all of that. And it's like, no, rest means we're eating. We can watch some TV. We can go play outside. We can play games. But we're resting. Like every single person here deserves rest. The six-year-old is in virtual school Monday through Friday. My husband has a full-time job that he works 100% remotely when I'm running the business. And so I think once we got to that agreement and that understanding of like honoring that, I will say that as busy as I am and as, you know, this is definitely the most successful season that my business has had, because I prioritize rest, it really has worked in my favor. I think the mentality is that we're losing time and that there's so much that needs to get done and I need to stay up late at night while the kids are in bed. And yeah, I think there are some nights when that happens, but that's not a common thing. That's not something that I'm living four or five days out of the week. I really do believe in rest. And I think really what it is, is also getting clear on the first thing you have to go in order. I always tell people that when your life is out of order, it won't work, right? Just like the public bathroom when it has the sign out of order. (laughs) A few years ago, we experienced a separation just because as successful as my business was becoming, my priorities were really out of order. And it was like, really, my family comes first and then everything else. I don't care how successful the business is. Like, we have to make the business work for my family life, not my family working for the business. Yeah. Once I understood that and got that clear, I had to define, one, what kind of person do I want to be? 
then I had to get clear on what kind of wife I wanted to be and what kind of mother I wanted to be. Once I understood that, then it was like, okay, now this is the kind of CEO business owner I am. Once you get those things in order, I mean, everything really starts to fall into place. And I have a small team and they're all mothers. So that's also a blessing. And so then you also get to set these values within your company and be like, hey, I don't care how crazy it is. We're done at 530. Like, it's fine. Like n- nobody's really doing with anything with anything after 5.30. You'll, we'll get to them at nine. Everyone will be fine. And we have an autoresponder when you email anybody on my team that says that. I think it's just really important to get clear on that. And I get it. We're in this social media age where it's all about hustle and bustle. Be serious about your career. Build your business and all of that. And it's like, girl, that's great. You can go ahead and make your living, but don't forget to make your life first. And I think that there's a lot of confusion for people about thinking that you have to hustle first to establish your business and then you can set boundaries later. Do you think you can set those boundaries right when you're getting started? Absolutely. I think I would have been better for it. One, I think you have to be explicitly honest with yourself. I think you have to understand like, okay, this is going to be way harder than you think it's going to be. (laughs) So once you understand that, I think then you now set yourself up and I think the thing that moms do so well is that not only do we work hard, of course, because, you know, I think motherhood is the hardest thing on the planet, but it's also the most rewarding. But I think we also are really good at working smart. And you've got to take that same kind of strategy with your business as well. So, yeah, I think... That's the strategy right there, working smart and working hard. And I think the working smart part is the boundaries where it's like, okay, I'm going to show up and give you guys six full hours during this day. But when dinner gets on that stove at 4.30, I'm off limits. That makes sense. I also want to ask, like with rest being so important, do you bring in help with any kind of like normal chores, activities? How do you balance like the normal household stuff that needs to get done? Yeah, I think especially this year, Chelsea, I cannot stress this enough. A saying that I've always had, even in my Maddieology days, was live what you love. And I think the new Maddie James graduated version of that is live what you love, delegate what you hate. For whatever reason, we're so obsessed as a culture with trying to become good at things that we're not good at. And I'm like, (laughs) yeah, for what? You know, just to prove that you can do it. And it's like, if you don't like laundry, girl, please hire that out. First of all, it's criminally cheap. I cannot believe that I have not been doing this longer. When I did laundry service for a family of five, I was like, I just cannot believe that it's literally costing me to get my laundry done every single week, 20 or $30 cheaper than my cell phone bill between like me and my husband. (laughs) Like it's ridiculous for the whole month. I'm like, okay, I'm absolutely going to make space for this in the budget. So yeah, We have somebody come to the house a couple times a month to just clean the entire house. We get weekly laundry service done. We didn't do childcare throughout 2020, but we definitely are changing that. I just think like with everything going on, we were just kind of like, ah, let's see how we can pull it off. And it was certainly difficult, but both my parents and my husband's parents live close by. So we're going to try to just work something out to kind of be like, okay, even if you're here for four hours, I will maximize those four hours and then you can leave, you can go. But I just think like, If you love doing laundry, then keep on doing laundry. But if you don't like cooking, right, like you hate cooking and you don't want to do takeout all the time, 
look into meal planning, sir, you know, meal delivery services and all of that. I am all about delegating what you hate. And I'm also all about delegating things that you don't really currently have time for in this season. Seasons are temporary. So honor them the best way you can. And I think that also just goes back to just working smart. So of course you can work hard. Absolutely. And I love that just like get help where you need help. We have such this thing too about, you know, you mentioned getting good at things we're not good at, which is crazy, but also just right. thinking we need to do it all on our own all the time which is exhausting and not really possible to begin with, right? We all need help. Right. And so you mentioned there quickly your budget and making space for it in your budget. And so I'm curious, how do you manage money with your partner? How do you, do you feel like you've had any money mindset growth as your business has grown and you've started to make more money? Yeah. The joke has always been that I needed to make a lot of money because I wasn't really that good at budgeting or saving. So it's just (laughs) like, I just always needed to be a person that made a lot of money so I can make sense of it. But funny enough, the more that I've made money, I think the better that I've gotten at managing it because now I'm like, I don't want to regress. I also want to make sure that I set my kids up for success. We actually did a few things. In the past, we tried to budget on our own holistically. It just doesn't work. Well, it just didn't work for us, let me say that. And we took financial peace, I think, a couple of years ago. And that really did help us establish our money personalities. And I think that's the thing. I'm not somebody who says, you have to take this, you have to do that. What I do think is that you do need to be very clear on what your money personality is. And if you have a partner or a spouse, then you need to be very clear on what their personality is and what makes it work and what makes it not work. Because once we establish what our personalities were, we could then work and operate out of our strengths. I'm somebody who's really good with being like, okay, how much do we need for this month? Okay, I will show up with that amount and then you allocate. I'm not the allocator. I'm not good at the money details. I'm just good at the money bringing in. Yep. That's all I'm good at. <laughs> and I'm really good at spending. A pro. <laughs> yeah. But now it's exciting to kind of be like, oh, okay, do you think we could save towards this? Like, can we start a new thing over here? Okay, do we have this account established? What about this? Now I'm a little bit more interested in various different types of account. How do we grow those accounts? What will this account mean for us, you know, in five years, 10 years and different things like that. And now also approaching things that I was scared of, whether it was an IRA or 529s for the kids. Now I'm really approaching it with this like kind of enthusiasm where it's like, I have no idea what this means, but I'm just excited to even like start it and even try to get good at it. And I think from a business side, the book that really did shift my mindset about money was Profit First. I love that book. I love it. Because I'm not at default, like good at saving money and making sure everything is in place. Like it's something that I look at probably once a year. I just get a refresh, even if I'm just reading over my highlighted notes, because that's the kind of reader I am. I cannot harp on it enough. To me, Profit First, even though it's a business money book, it really essentially got my mindset wrapped around all the money in my life. Yeah. I think that that whole concept, business or life, that we manage what's left over instead of planning first for what we set aside, that book is really good at changing your mindset about that. Yep. Awesome, awesome resource. And so what does setting your kids up mean for you? Because we talk often about financial legacy building and how do we leave legacy that matters? And so I'm curious what that means to you and your husband. You know, for us, I think it means access to capital. I know that that's not something that we had growing up. We were really fortunate, of course. My parents could pay the bills. Like my parents were always employed. We were really fortunate. 
my parents are immigrants. So me and my sister are first American generation. And so for college, like we took out loans and different things like that and just had to learn about debt and credit and things like that around that college age. And I just don't want my kids to have to even worry about having to take out a loan. I just want a level of accessibility where I think just growing up and learning about yourself and just going through life is already pretty detailed and and pretty, it it keeps you busy, let's say that. (laughs) So I think if I could help shave off anything that is like debt related and Honestly, for me, I've been married now for 11 years, and I know how much work marriage is and just having a partner is. I even just want to be able to even put my kids in a position where, like, the first year you're married, you don't even have to worry about going to work. You guys just worry about, like, planning your life and stuff like that. Like, those are the things I think about, truly. As a Black woman as well, not only me doing well, but my kids doing well to me is really like an act of resistance. It is, in my way, a form of protest, right? Because there's so many things that tell us that I should not be making a million dollars a year. I did not finish college. My parents are immigrants. Like, how dare you be that successful? So I also think that's really important for my kids to know and understand. It's important to me, of course, that they're not just handed everything. I want them to understand how hard me and their dad work. I want them to understand how money works. I think that's the biggest thing. It doesn't matter if I save $30,000 for each of my kids by the time they're 18. If you do not know how money works and how to actually use it to your advantage, how to use it as a life tool, you're going to fly through that 30K. And that actually could end up being more of a burden than a help because you don't even understand how the money system in this country works. So for me, I think it's twofold. It's not only you having access to capital and having, you know, not having to worry about pulling out loans and different things like that. If I can put my kids in any situation to buy things cash, I will. But also in addition to that, learning how to use money, how the credit system works and all of that, how to use that to your advantage and to pass that down onto their families as well. Yeah, I think you see the statistics about 70% of families that pass down generational wealth lose it in the first generation, over 90% by the second generation. And so you do need both. You need to build the wealth and you have to pass the skills so that they can actually manage that money. That's a great point. How as an entrepreneur do you think about entrepreneurship with your kids? I really do love the fact that they have that choice. So if they want to go to college, I'm all about it. Go have fun. It's a great experience. You, you you meet people, you grow, you learn how to be independent. But then I also love the fact that we'll have this company that they can choose to come and work for and grow, even if they're in high school and you want to intern and learn from that. I think it's about making sure that they have that choice. And I think a lot of people don't typically do that because I think the American education system is built that way. You're pretty much trained to be an employee from the get-go. So for me, it's fine. If you want to go work for a Fortune 500 or whatnot, that's fine. But I think it's also knowing that you have this choice, you have this family business. This is how you start your own business if you want to do this. And I think those are the things that are also really exciting. Just the choice, just having access to choices is so important. And I think that's something that's easily overlooked. It's a great point. We've been talking a lot about your story and your family, but we haven't tackled the fact that you're an influencer and entrepreneur. And I'm a big believer that words matter. And influencer has become kind of a negative word. So you want to tell me what influencer means to you? Yeah. So 
an influencer basically is a content creator who influences their audience through content that's on social media, on a blog or a website, in a podcast, or even on a YouTube channel. For me, that really just means that you really are like this mini marketer. And not even mini, right? I think I think that's probably the mindset that a lot of people still kind of approach it. And it's like, no, you know, when you're dealing with anybody from a mom in Atlanta in her 30s who has a couple hundred thousand followers to even like the 23-year-old in LA who has a couple million followers. Like that's not small marketing. Like that is huge. Like people (laughs) would love to have that pool of people. So you're essentially like this internet marketer who really knows how to produce content. To me, you're a one-stop shop. You're a content marketing agency. You understand data analysis. You understand how to take pretty pictures. You know, you understand understand production. A lot of times too, you're in that production yourself. So then essentially you're a model or a host or, you know, it's so, so much, but I absolutely love it. And I think it's so cool that my husband says it to me all the time. He's like, I cannot believe that you literally built something where you essentially get to be yourself. And I think that's like, I think the really good influencers are people who have mastered telling their story and whatever platform that they're on and their audience is on and doing it in a way that it's authentic, but it's still fun. It's still incredibly valuable and useful to their audience and hopefully helpful. And then you do it in a way where you get to partner with brands that you believe in and you really enjoy. And I really have been able to do that. And I don't take that lightly. I know that is really, really awesome. And I love teaching people that they can do that too. And let's talk about that. But before we do, I think that some of the points you made about how much work it is, I really just want to highlight that for a second, because I think part of the negative ideas around what an influencer is, is that there's this huge group of people that thinks it's easy, right? You go post a couple pictures on Instagram, you're immediately famous, (laughs) and then you make six figures. What are some misconceptions that people have about what this job actually looks like? I think people do think that I just like, one, wake up with my makeup and hair done. And then I'm like, oh, I'm going to take this selfie and post it. And I'm like, gosh, I wish it was that easy. My goodness. And then I think all of us would be influencers. I think the God to honest truth is that it is so hard because it's like, okay, anybody who has done full hair and makeup, whether it's on their own or hired somebody else to do it, you know how much time that takes to do that, right? Then you have to then edit that picture that you got beautified for it. Then you have to write a caption or a blog post or a description box. So the writing right there is another hour task. And I think what some people don't realize is they don't think about the process and that's why they think it's easy. They just are like, oh my gosh, to get a result like that is fine. And I always challenge people. I'm like, go take a perfect selfie and then write a caption for it and tell me how long it takes you from start to finish. And people are blown away. And then I'm like, and then you think that you can do that every single day Monday through Friday, let's not even give you seven days a week, Monday through Friday, that's so, so very much. Um, And to do that at a level where you keep the frequency and the consistency on a steady pace without losing any quality, losing any value or usefulness to your audience, and then also still providing usefulness and value to a brand so they can hire you and pay you to be a partner, it's so, so much. In addition to that, all of these trends are changing. When I started blogging in January of 2010, Instagram did not even exist. Now we have Instagram Reels, Instagram Live, Instagram Stories. And so it's in addition to 
being good, you have to stay good as like the trends change and they grow and they evolve. And I think that's also the really hard thing about being an influencer. So it's quite a lot. And you have to know both the front and the back end, you know, it's, and I think anybody who becomes good at what they do have to understand both sides and being an influencer is no different. I think the misconception is that because it's the internet, it's easier. And I'm like, no, that's not how it works. If if anything, it's a little bit harder because the internet moves at a pace that's hard to keep up with. Oh, absolutely. That fast pace makes it so hard to keep up with sometimes like what we're supposed to be doing. Now, I want to dive into how to get started as an influencer. But before we do that, let's take a quick pause to hear from our partners who help make the Smart Money Mama show possible. Mama, you want more, more money, time, peace, fulfillment, and joy to stop surviving and start thriving, to show your kids what it means to live fully. But you can't build a life you love without financial security, which means it's time for you to feel worthy of wealth and confident managing your money. The Motivated Mama Society is our monthly membership community where intelligent, driven moms come together to rewrite their money stories, connect with their biggest dreams, and build lasting wealth. With access to our five core foundations courses, monthly live masterclasses and Q&As, and a fantastic community of women who have your back through the ups and downs of life, you'll have what you need to create a life you love. If you're a mom who believes more is possible and you're ready for more money and more time for the things that matter most, the Motivated Mama Society is for you. Learn more at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash join. That's smartmoneymamas.com forward slash join. I can't wait to see you inside. So you also, as an entrepreneur, teach other people how to build influencer businesses and work with brands. And so for someone who's considering trying to start an online business, trying to become an influencer, what are some tips you have for getting started? Man, I always just tell people to just start. You know, I think what happens is we start to get in our heads. We're like, okay, I'm going to post four times this week and then next week I'll post eight. And then, and it's like, whoa, you've got to <laughs> take a deep breath. I always tell people to just start and then define what it is you want to accomplish early on, but define what small goal you want to accomplish. I think we all go in there with like this, <laughs> I'm going to take over the world in like 30 days, you know, like at, once I start on Monday, by the end of the month, I'll be fine. And it's like, no, no, because what happens is when you start to become a content creator and influencer, the rest of your life does not stop. Like my kids are still growing. They still want fruit snacks for breakfast. They still want to watch Paw Patrol. None of that stops. So you have to define what consistency means. I joke around and I say, consistency is the hill I will die on. You have to be consistent. I do not care what year you started blogging. I don't care what platform you're on or you know what kind of content you create. Consistency is what is going to make you stand out because most people aren't. But early on, you must define what consistency means for you. So that doesn't mean Monday through Friday when you're first starting out. That might mean every Monday and every Thursday for four weeks. And once you master posting every Monday and every Thursday, then can you add another day and do that for another month straight? Okay, now can we add another day? And maybe what you'll find is posting four times 
a week on your Instagram or on your YouTube might be a little bit too much in your current season, maybe because you just had a baby, maybe because you're about to move or whatnot. So your job then is that you know you can knock three posts out of the park every single week, then you honor those three posts every single week. What happens is people are able to post three times a week, but they wish they were posting five, and so then they end up not posting at all. And it's like, no, 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 you've got to honor the small consistency because you will not be able to honor the big consistency if you can't honor the small. You've got to define that. I can't define it for you no matter how great my tips are. No one else can define it for you. You have to be explicitly honest with yourself and say, okay, realistically, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays are the only days I can do. I'll increase it once we're done moving, once I'm out of the newborn fog, once I get that child care that I'm budgeting for in six months, whatever have you. Yeah. And that's the same with all habits, right? Of figuring out what you can do consistently and not overstretching. We've talked about it in a recent episode about habits of like, okay, if the first day you decide to work out, you spend an hour in the gym and kill yourself and then you're sore the next four days and you don't work out. Well, now you have not built any habit. You would have been better off doing 10 minutes each of those days. And so something I've seen, Maddie, and I'm sure you see a lot, is that people, they want to get into this, they want to get into online business, they want to start their Instagram profile, but they're really nervous to be themselves. And so they look at what all the other influencers that they follow are doing, and they try to copy it. What advice do you have for kind of facing that fear and leaning into your authentic self on social media in your online business? So I think you really have to define what actually matters to you. And It's fine because as somebody who I have a lot of things that matter to me because I like all of the things, you have to then start out with what matters most to you. Usually it's twofold. It's like internally, what's that passion? And then externally, who are you trying to help? And I think the other thing is, it's like, you know, creating content is really not that deep a lot of the times, right? Maybe you just want to make people laugh. Well, who is it that you're trying to make laugh? You know, are you trying to make moms laugh because we have a lot of stress raising our kids and trying to balance it all? So making fun of our like daily tasks is something that's really important to you. That's fine. I don't think it has to be deep. I just think it needs to be true. And I think that a lot of us don't take the time out to do that. And the reason why it's also important to do that is because it'll change. What mattered to me six, seven years ago as an influencer doesn't matter as much as other things do matter to me now. You've got to get clear on that because when it matters to you, you will show up. You will show up consistently. You will not cut corners. And there will be a willingness and an honesty that's there. Also, when something matters to you, even if you are nervous, the thing that matters ends up being noticeably more important than your nerves. And you're willing to put your nerves on the back burner for that, you know? And here's the thing, not to sound cliche, but, you know, doing it scared is still really, really incredibly brave and courageous and something that can be done and should be done if something does matter this much to you. So do it scared. I know I did. I <laughs> I mean, I cannot harp on how bad I was in the beginning, like just triggity trash, just horrible. I cannot harp on that enough. But I got better because I showed up and I kept on showing up. And what happens is even if you have one good thing and then the other things end up being kind of okay, and then good things starts to show up a little bit more often. And then the people who were following you, who see you getting better, they become like your evangelist. They become like your unofficial marketing team. And they're like, oh my gosh, go check this out. This was so good. And they're excited because they've seen you evolve and grow as a content creator. Everybody wants to, they're rooting for the person who was like in the small pond, there was a small fish in the big pond, and now they're 
are slowly becoming the medium fish and the big fish, we all love to root for a winning story. And I think that a lot of times people want to show up as the win. They want to show up as the champions. And it's like, no, you got to go practice. You got to go fall on your face. You got to go take a couple of L's. That's part of the process. Absolutely. And I also think that like, no matter how good you are, your first year, your first month, it's going to look bad when you look back on it, right? It's going like, to look bad, man. Everyone else might have thought it was great. You're going to grow and you're going to evolve. And so you might as well just get started and get oh those early gosh. days out of the way. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I occasionally go back and find like old blog posts or old Pinterest pins and things that I did. And I was like, what was I thinking? Like, what, <laughs> like, why did I publish that? It's so fun to look back at the old stuff. I love it because I'm just like, oh my gosh, thank God for growth because man, I mean, and that's why the mind is such a powerful thing. You just thought you were doing it like, oh my gosh, this is going to be so great. They're going to love it. I am just one of a kind. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's, that's what you are. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. And so another piece of advice that we hear a lot is niching down, right? Like Mm -hmm. only talk about personal finance, only talk about fashion. And I know that you've evolved. So now you talk about motherhood and marriage and other things. And so what do you think about being multi-passionate as you start your business? I think it's fine to have the multi-passions, to have different things that you want to talk about. I think the issue is that we turn these different things into each of them just like this big spectacle. And it becomes a little overwhelming, not just for you, but then also for your audience. And so then it's like, well, what does matter to her? What's actually going on? And I always teach my students that your story is actually your niche. And so if you can take those different things and fit it into a story that people are following collectively, then it doesn't become this super confusing thing. But the issue is, is that a lot of people don't know how to storytell and storytelling is just, it's incredibly valuable in marketing and in content creation. And so if you get clear on the story that you want to tell, then I think that's going to help you out a lot. Then you can fit in, if you do want to talk about two or three things, you can fit it into the story. Essentially, you won't be able to necessarily talk about everything. And most people don't want to talk about everything. I talk about a lot of things, but my really personal moments, I don't really share, even though I love sharing about my family. I really like keeping that stuff to myself. So I have something that I can savor privately. And I don't talk about working out because I'm not really that great at it. I'm an average human just like everybody else. I'll start and then stop and then start and then stop. So I consistently talk about style and beauty, but I think over the last few years, I've certainly talked more about family and most recently even just home organization and decor because we've moved into a new home. So different things will matter in your story in different seasons. My story has, you know, I'm still Maddie. I'm still Chris's wife. I'm still Mesa, Kaliana, and Christian's mom. That's the story. Fitting these other things inside now matter. Right now, getting the house organized really matters because I'm here all the time, you know? (laughs) (laughs) You know, at least putting on my favorite lip gloss matters because I literally haven't left the house in like two months. So it's like different things like that really do make sense. And it keeps your audience interested because they're following along in the story. I think everybody does have to have a main storyline and then you can have a B and a C storyline. So there does need to be one thing in your story that matters a little bit more, right? So maybe personal finance is that, and that's really how you're connecting with your audience and adding value to their lives. And then maybe the B and the C line is you going vegan and turning your previous guest room into your she shack. And people want to follow along with that. And then what happens is storylines end, 
or they evolve. And that's really the secret, telling good stories. So to me, your story is your niche. These things that we talk about are categories. Personal finance is a category. It's not to me really a niche. You, There's no greater niche than your actual story because that's the thing. That's what develops your voice. That's what develops your actual value. And these are things that also stand out to brands and other partners that you could potentially work with. If you kind of now shift your mindset to be like, my story is my niche, and now I can fit these things within the story, then you get better at keep staying consistent because the goal now is to keep the storyline going. Absolutely. Do you have any books or resources that helped you become a better storyteller or was it just practice? You know, it's twofold. I, I always am somebody who is into personal and professional development. Those are the types of books that gravitate towards me. I'm currently reading stories that stick and it's like changing my life. But I think the other thing is just reading in general is really what is helping me evolve, you know? There's another book and I'm so horrible at it. And I, every time somebody asks me on like a live or in stories, I always forget. I think it's the art of storytelling. It's a white cover and then it has like black text. And I think one of the words is red. I think it's the art of storytelling. That was also a really good book for me as well. But yeah, stories that stick right now, to me, is just phenomenal because not only is she teaching you about storytelling, but she's such a phenomenal storyteller that she's telling you how she got to this point of telling you this story. And I just think that's masterful. When somebody's so good at what they do that they're telling you what they're going to do and then they do it, it's like watching Dave Chappelle tell jokes. Like he'll tell you that he's about to tell a joke and the punchline will land. And then he tells the joke and the punchline lands. It's really just fascinating. It's really just incredible. I love it. (laughs) Well, I'll have to look up that book. That sounds fantastic. But let's switch gears for a second into the, the meat of this. How do you make money as an influencer? Yeah, there's so many different ways. I always tell people that as an influencer or as honestly anybody online, so whether you consider yourself more of an entrepreneur than an influencer, you make money with space online, right? Through services, products, affiliates, curriculum, or events. That's really the only five ways to, Now you can go into the subcategories of each of those if you want, but that's really the only five ways to make money on there. Now, technically as an influencer, I provide a service, which is content creation for a brand. And then that's how they pay me. That is how the bulk of my money is made. The second biggest stream of income for my business is curriculum. I teach online courses and I have an accelerator where I teach influencers how to do this full-time or make six figures from this. The way I started doing it, when I started blogging in 2010, early on was pretty much like through Google AdSense, affiliates, and then brands would pay you a couple hundred dollars here and there, unless like you had millions of followers. Now you can be a micro-influencer and make $100,000, $200,000 a year, and that's a norm. Like if you are treating this like your job, and essentially what you want to do is you pitch brands. So you reach out to them, and everybody's like, oh my gosh, how do you find the brand contact and stuff like that? It's just basic research. It's Google. There is no magical mecca of <laughs> brand contacts. Yeah. It's illegal to sell proprietary information, so nobody should be selling you a database of like contacts of, from brands that's absolutely not legal. So um, there is no place. Now, the places I typically find brand contacts are press releases, their websites, reaching out to agencies, 
Those are really like the best places to start. And then once you reach out to them, you kind of have to make sure the back end of all your stuff is in place, right? Are you posting consistently? Because they're absolutely going to make sure you're a real person. And if you're asking them to pay you for an Instagram post, have you posted consistently on your Instagram profile for the last 90 days? And really the reason why I harp on consistency is because as a content creator, that's like your credit score. They're going to go do their background check. Everyone's doing a background check. Whether you've been creating content for 11 years like I have, or you've been creating content for 11 months, everyone's doing their background check. And so you just reach out to them and you see if they want to partner up. I think when you become really good, you become really consistent, what happens is then the pendulum swings on the other side and brands start to come to you. About 85% of my brand partnerships are things that are brought to me. And just little things like making sure that like you have a contact page on your site, the how to contact you is in your social media bio. Those are also really helpful ways to do it. And essentially what you can do is leverage a certain amount of content or deliverables. So an Instagram post, a tweet, pins, a YouTube video, a podcast, a blog post, all the things, all of those things can be leveraged for money. And then of course, the more you grow, the more you can charge, the more work you're doing, the more you can charge. And then of course, there's things like licensing and the exclusivity that you can charge for as well. But essentially, yeah, it's just, if you create content consistently, that will validate you to a brand. And that is essentially why they want to work with you. And they want to fit into that story, which is why the story is so huge because brands want to be marketed successfully on good content. No matter how pretty the content is, if the story isn't there, that's a lot of reasons why a lot of people have a lot of followers but can't get a a big payout because the marketing is actually not there, just like the vanity of pretty content is. Gotcha. So what does micro-influencer mean? Is there a number of followers? Is there an engagement rate? How do we think about that? There's so many definitions, of course. But generally speaking in the industry, a micro-influencer is somebody who has between 10,000 and 100,000 followers. If you have less than 10,000 followers, you were considered a nano-influencer. If you have more than 10,000 but less than 100,000, you are a micro-influencer. If you have 100 to a million followers, you are a macro-influencer. And anything above 1 million followers is considered a mega influencer or essentially a celebrity. Gotcha. Okay. So do you remember the first major brand deal you landed? How did it come about? And what was it like working with a big brand for the first time? Yeah, I worked with American Express. It was for their prepaid debit card. Gosh, this was in 2011, 2010, 20, so long ago. And they paid me 250 bucks and they gifted me tickets to the Earth, Wind & Fire concert that me and my husband ended up going to. And I just thought it was so cool that they gave me money to like talk about their product. And then they also gifted me like concert tickets. Like it, should, it, was, it was such a wild concept to me. I was like, so let me get this straight. You're going to have me do this and then pay me and still also give me other things. So it was just a wild concept to me. It was pretty cool. And it was like, once I got bit by that bug, I was like, oh, how do you do this even more? And I probably didn't get my next brand deal probably for like another like three or four months. And I, I always tell people, it took me about three years before I got good enough for brands to like probably reach out to me once a week. And now we go through quite a few requests every month. But yeah, it's it was really cool. I'm not jaded by that at all. I'm still incredibly humbled that American Express prepaid debit card took a chance on me <laughs> when I had like 
two followers and like not much going on. But you know what? I, I was trying. Even when I was bad, I was consistent. And I think that's the other thing that that made me stand out. Yeah. And that gratitude. I mean, you mentioned earlier in the episode that your husband's like, it's amazing that you've built this business being yourself and, and getting to work yeah. with people. That's always a really cool thing when you're getting yeah. to do work that feels so aligned with who you want to be and in, in your lifestyle, which is fantastic. So you've been doing this work for, like you said, 11 years, and any entrepreneur journey has its ups and downs. When you're mostly reliant on brand work, how has that fluctuated as the economy and the market has fluctuated? So it was hard early on to kind of measure that. And then I started working with my money manager and those systems she had in place made me realize like, oh, you could actually just be measuring this even just like on a basic spreadsheet to kind of just see like the influx of when things are being booked, when things are slowing down. Uh, Q1 is usually slow just because holiday is just always jam-packed with all of the things from every single niche on the face of the earth. (laughs) (laughs) So everybody's just trying to get a breather. Last year, this time, I was on maternity leave because I just had my son. And so I was excited to hit the ground running because March is usually when things start to pick back up. And then, of course, that's when the pandemic hit. And I truly did not understand what I think I was like everybody. I didn't know what the heck was going to happen. I was like, okay, do I need to pivot? What do I need to do? And the blessing was, is that since I had been full-time, I had also been teaching. So I had always done master classes and online courses. So I had that to rely on. But what happened and what is still happening in influencer marketing is to me, it just had, I just kind of feel like the floodgates opened. I think because everyone was home, everyone was online shopping, everyone was trying to make sure that the attention of people on the internet was going to their sites, going to their social media, making sure that everyone was paying attention. And so what I thought was going to happen was that like these partnerships were going to dry up. And truly it got to the point where I was like, I do have to start saying no, I don't have the bandwidth to do all of these partnerships, which was, you know, such a great problem to have. But yeah, we have a system to where like, you know, we measure what I book, which is what we call like booked income. And then I also have a system where we measure banked income. So obviously as an influencer, if you are going to get paid by a brand, they usually pay you in payment terms, net 30, net 60, you know, net 90. And so even though I signed a contract for $7,500, I don't have that money yet. Also measuring things like that helped me realize like what is slow, what's not slow. And it really does vary. I think the consistent thing is, is that things slow down right at the end of the summer for me. And that January, February, like first couple of weeks of March are pretty slow. I'll have maybe like a partnership here or there. But for me, I like that because it allows me to really plan for the rest of my year properly. And also those downtimes are typically now when I'm launching my programs because it's like, okay, I don't have to worry about showing up for this brand. I can show up for my students instead. That's awesome to build that flow into your business and start to figure out Mm -hmm. how it works for you. Yeah. So Maddie, any last pieces of advice for moms who are building their influencer platform or who want to get started? Don't feel like you have to be everywhere because I think that's the other thing, right? It's like, oh, there's TikTok. Oh my gosh, there's Reels. There's Live. There's Stories. There's, oh my gosh, I need a blog too. There's YouTube. There's all the things. (laughs) People freaking out about Clubhouse now. (laughs) Oh my gosh, people are freaking out about Clubhouse. And I'm like, you don't have to do it. 
I think the biggest thing I can say, if in fact you do want to be an influencer, is pick the platform that matters to you most or where the people you want to serve are the most and start there. Define your consistency and keep going. Start and get better as you go along. People are busy not starting because they want to show up the first day perfect. And it's like, you cannot show up to your first day of kindergarten knowing everything you're supposed to know in 12th grade. It's impossible. You would have to show up for kindergarten, then go to first grade, second, and so on to eventually graduate from high school. And it's the same thing with being an influencer. You have to suck in the beginning. That is just the requirement. I think once you accept that, it's so much easier. It's such a great season to kind of like be new, be a novice, learn and take these things that you're seeing online and then apply it for yourself and really start to figure out what does matter to you as a content creator? What does matter to you? Why is your influence changing the world so important to you? What do you want to do with that influence? And slow and steady wins the race. I, I know that's not the, the coolest saying, but that's really what it is. I mean, five years is going to pass anyway. So if it can pass you showing up two or three times a week and then slowly growing into a little bit more, that's completely fine. Just start. Stop thinking that like no one's going to like this because you don't have an Instagram ready house. Most of us don't. <laughs> I mean, most of us don't, you know, especially those of us with toddlers. It's just not how it works. If you have children, you most likely don't. You likely have to stage. We have a lovely home, but it's Friday. So we've all gone through the work in the school week. Things are everywhere right now. But I had a photo shoot a couple of days ago and I had to stage my kitchen. I took things off the counter, stuff like that. Like understand that there's a level of production that goes with this. People will say it's smoke and mirrors, but it's like, you know, anything in content creation is, right? The Avengers weren't actually flying on the movie screen, right? It was a green screen and they had <laughs> yeah. wires, but that doesn't make the content any less valuable or entertaining. And the same thing should be applied with influencers. People are like, oh, well, her kids don't really look like that all the time. You're absolutely right. But we're taking a picture and putting it on a public platform. So yes, I did their hair and washed their little faces. Yes, you're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. And I think also show up with with an enthusiastic and positive outlook with, as with being an influencer. I think we've all heard those misconceptions. And I think sometimes the internet can get a bad rap, but it's a really awesome and cool platform to work and do good work in. And if you shift that mindset and kind of show up and say, hey, I'm going to try today. If you miss once, right, if your goal was supposed every day, Monday through Friday, and you miss once, just don't miss again, right? So you miss Wednesday, don't miss Thursday. You miss Friday, okay, Monday's coming back up. Don't miss then. And that's a really good uh, tidbit from James Clear, who wrote Atomic Habits, which is one of my favorite books. But yeah, just allow yourself to go through your process and show up and be willing to do the work and understand it's way, way harder than you ever could think it is. But you're built for that, you, especially if you had a child if you have a child, you can certainly be an influencer <laughs> because you're influencing every day. Again, not to have fruit snacks for breakfast. <laughs> not to have fruit snacks for breakfast. Oh my goodness. Every morning, <laughs> the argument every morning. Every morning. So Maddie, before we let you go, we have to have you try on our Smart Money Mama's sorting hat. The sorting hat is our version of the hot seat mm. where we ask the magical hat to reveal something about you. Are you ready? Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> What is your favorite form of self-care? Oh, man. Gosh. I gotta say, right now, I think it really is rest. 
It really is rest, just like allowing myself to sleep. This morning was one of those mornings, but rest is that. There's something about getting an ample amount of sleep that is unmatched. There's no amount of coffee. There's no amount of focus pills you can take. Like not having mental fog is my favorite thing in this current season of my life. So I've got to say rest, you know, like getting that seven to nine hours of sleep. If like my parents are in town and they're able to watch the kids or Chris is gracious enough to like allow me to get those extra couple hours of sleep. I love it. That's fantastic. I love when we talk about like the core true self-care thing. Sometimes that question comes up and everybody has different forms of self-care. But when we're talking about rest and having financial security and just health, the things that we need to be able to function in our lives, such a good answer. Maddie, where can people follow you and hear more about your work? You can follow me over at The Maddie James everywhere on social. So Instagram, YouTube, all the things that are on social, The Maddie James. And you can also check me out at maddiejames.com. That's where you can find my blog, everything about me, understand why I'm even talking about influence and see that I kind of sort of know what I'm talking about and learn a little bit more of my story. But I, I think I shared quite a bit here. So I'm excited for everybody to hear this. Yeah, I'm excited for people to head over to your channel as well. You also do a weekly live show on Instagram, right? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So every Wednesday at 1130 a.m. Eastern, I do something called Maddie Live. And basically for an hour, I go live and I teach influencers how to post consistently and strategically and also how to get brands attention online. That's fantastic. Mamas, absolutely check that out. Maddie, thank you so much for joining us. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much, Chelsea. I appreciate it. Mamas, we live in such a cool world where you can get paid to share your life, values, and advice with others. As Maddie explained to us, it's not easy or overnight instant success, but you can live in your purpose and make great money. I also love how Maddie talked about creating opportunities and freedom for her kids, not just for paying for college, but in thinking about helping her kids start their lives and marriages well, having access to capital for business ideas. What started at one point must have felt like a little blog is changing Maddie's generational money narrative, and that is just incredible. As always, I've wrapped up my top three favorite takeaways from this conversation with Maddie for you to take into your own life. First, your story is your ultimate niche. When you're a new entrepreneur, new influencer, new business owner, there is so much discussion about niching down, focusing in on a specific topic. And as Maddie said, it's important to have a core thing that you talk about. But when you try to be unique and authentic, the only thing that is truly unique is your story your perspective. And coming back to that, sharing something that is important to you, authentic to you, is what is really going to help you stand out. It's going to help people connect with you and really feel like they're getting to know you and can see themselves in pieces of your story. And so when you're wondering what to share or when you're starting a business, don't spend too much time looking around at what you're supposed to do, worrying about SEO content or tags or all these little things. Instead, learn how to tell your story. Practice storytelling. Let people learn through what you've experienced and what you've learned. It's a very powerful thing. Second, set your boundaries early and stick to them. I love that Maddie said you have to go backwards and you first have to think about 
What is the person you want to be? What kind of mom do you want to be? What kind of partner do you want to be? And then design your business or your career to fit with that narrative. That doesn't mean you don't have to work or that you only work part-time. How this works for everybody is a little bit different, but figure out what is most important to you and then make sure that you're protecting those things even as your business grows, even as you're in those early days. We get so caught up in the hustle culture, so caught up in making every minute the most productive it can possibly be, that sometimes we forget why we do that work and why we do that hustle and what we're really trying to get out of our lives. And so if you're trying to start a passion project or a side hustle, if you're trying to start a business or change careers, I want you to ask yourself how much time you can realistically commit to it on a regular basis. That might just start with a couple of hours a week. Like Maddie was saying, pick something that you can do consistently once or twice a week for two hours and let yourself grow into finding what works for you instead of trying to go full out, exhausting yourself, hustling, and letting the reasons that you want to build that business build that career, get pushed to the back burner, and really end up suffering for not having those boundaries early on. Not to mention real quickly that generally having boundaries does make us more productive. It makes us focus on the work that is truly the most important and lets us grow faster than when we sit at hours and hours at our computer or on our phone trying to force something to work. It makes us prioritize. And so make sure you set those boundaries early on. And finally, just get started. Whether you're trying to be an influencer, whether you're trying to be an entrepreneur or change careers or level up in your career, when we do new things, we suck at it. It's just kind of the way that it goes. We all have to learn. We all have to start at square one. So instead of waiting for the perfect moment, instead of waiting until you've taken all the right classes and done all the right things and feel like an expert, just get started. The time, as Maddie said, is going to pass anyway. So if you're going to get to five years from now, regardless of whether or not you start, you might as well start and be five years ahead when you get there in five years. Do the work, get started, chase your passions. Now, I know some of you feel stuck and you're not sure what to do. So my advice, if that's you, is don't stay in the stuck, overanalyzing place where you just don't know what to do. Don't stay there. Instead, head to the show notes of this episode, smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Maddie, and download your free Discover Your Passion Project workbook. It'll help you decide what makes sense for your gifts and passions, what kind of side hustle or little business you want to start that works with your skills, and then dive in. You've got this. Mamas, I want to thank Maddie again for coming on the show and sharing her story and advice with us. You can find links to Maddie's website, maddiejames.com, as well as her social media platforms in the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Maddie. That's M-A-T-T-I-E. Be sure to tune in to her next Instagram live on Wednesday for more influencer and entrepreneur tips. I truly, truly appreciate the time you spend with us on the Smart Money Mama show each week. Thank you for being here, dreaming big and building wealth keep talking money mamas. I'll see you next time.